Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Jay Rodan. Jay Rodan, thank you so much for joining me here today in this episode of Cassie and thank you. Jay, please tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks again for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Um, I am an actor, writer, and producer who has worked in the entertainment field for the past 20 plus years. I started out as an actor. I've worked on film and in television and transitioned to writing a miniseries on new media about 10 years ago, which sort of launched off a writing career, subsequently went on to sell TV shows to NBC, ABC, Amazon, AMC Studios, and elsewhere. I've also written feature films for a number of different places, uh, you know, Universal, Lucasfilm, uh, and several other, several other outlets. So I've been very fortunate in that sense that I've worked on both sides of the camera. I've had an opportunity to see the, or to in engage the creative process from various different facets. I've also, as a producer, been involved in hiring people. So as a producer, I produce commercials and branded content. I have a production company that does that named Sheriff Production. And we really get out and produce a lot of stuff really across the board, everything from, you know, photography or photographic work to, as I say, branded narrative content, digital video, motion content, all that stuff. So we really are a a kind of diverse operation, which has given me an opportunity to kind of participate in the creative process from many different facets and to see it almost in a kaleidoscopic way from every different uh, aspect, which has been, you know, a tremendous blessing. Now, some people may wonder, Cassie, how do you know Jay? How how did your paths cross? And it happened to be, as with so many other people that I've had on here, we met on LinkedIn. You are active on LinkedIn. And we commented on the same post about the launch of a blockchain-based book publishing company. And I think that that both caught our attention. Yeah. Book.io. Yes. Uh, Book.io. That's how our paths cross. But I think, Jay, that your background and your experiences are very important right now, given what's going on in the news. One element of generative AI that has been in the news quite a bit is the impact it's having to the entertainment industry with the, the actor and writer strike going on here in the U.S. Can you explain to the audience who may not be as in the know as maybe I am, what exactly that strike dispute is about? Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I will just wheel back very briefly to say, yes, we connected over that. I thought you had many very astute points in your posts. I was always very appreciative to read them. I really enjoyed discovering your feed and concur with a lot of your observations. I think that particular issue with book.io, I'm an author as well. I have published a novel. I'm working on another one. But to me, the issue that really caught my attention was the issue of copyright and how it's being affected and impacted by the growth of generative AI and the explosion within this field of these various different outlets, which, you know, through their LLMs or even what are going to come next, like narrow language focused models or whatever it happens to be, are out there, you know, with these sort of giant spider bots scraping the internet, pulling people's intellectual copyright into it. And that actually pertains to the second part of your question, which is the actors and writers strike. I, I'm in both guilds. I'm in SAG, Screen Actors Guild, and the Writers Guild of America. I'm very passionately committed to both guilds because they've given me everything. They're amazing guilds, and I love them. 
And I'm very concerned about the future of creatives in these particular fields. So in a large nutshell, there are two sort of broad areas that are slightly distinct that have led both the writers and the actors to strike. In the actors, you might summarize it to say that there have been structural changes in the way in which writers are hired and paid because of the onset of streamers, by which I mean Netflix, then Hulu, and the other companies that came online. There is in that an AI component because it became a very big issue really in the last sort of year of negotiations in which the Writers Guild was basically saying, hey, yeah, we've got these other issues. And by the way, we need to talk about generative AI, which became something over the last couple of years, obviously, as we all saw, which just exploded onto the scene and was like, it's out there scraping people's intellectual data, but also generating all kinds of material, which can have a tremendous impact on copyright. As you know, as an attorney, it's there is a vast gray area, which is yet to be worked out, which is yet to be delved into and properly litigated in in courts, or in fact, be reflected in codified law, which all of which needs to be done. And it's we're, we're nowhere right now. It's, there's no, we're nowhere near that. But all of it is going to be happening. And as somebody who is committed to the writing process, who, as I say, has written and sold shows and films, to me, it's essential. It's a matter of, it's an existential issue with respect to that livelihood. So that's one thing. So that became a very big issue in the WGA. And then subsequently, SAG or the Screen Actors Guild were also up for negotiations a short time after WGA was. And they have very similar issues, which is that the structure of the industry has shifted under the impact of the streamers and how they kind of came on board over the last 10 years and we're like, oh, this is a new thing. We don't know how this is going to be. Listen, we can't do the same payment structure that we had before. We're just going to pay one fee and have a bunch of structural changes to how we do shows, no longer 22 shows, now six shows or eight shows. There's a flat fee and it really impacts how people get paid and how they, how artists, creative artists sustain themselves through going from one job to the next. So there's that. And Then, of course, what happened with the screen actors was really almost in the last few months with the explosion of whether it's mid-journey or stable diffusion or or, uh, Dolly, you had image generating and then video generating, which is going to be coming next if it's not already there, versions of ChatGPT, which are going to mean that you can a clone people's voices and generate entire speeches and performances from that cloning or you can take their images and in the worst case scenario and actually just turn them into characters that sort of live and play forever so it emerged during the sags negotiations with the amtp which is the representative of the studio unions of the studios rather that One of the things that came up in conversation was the studios were like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we want to have the right with extras who are background actors who are showing up to be able to take their images and sort of reproduce them more or less infinitely in various different contexts in various different films. So you can imagine as an actor, I think the very first things that I appeared in, I was an extra. The uh, it happened to people like Brad Pitt. It's happened across the board. And you can imagine, well, if someone is trying to build a career, but they sign away their image for 140 or 60 bucks a day, and they no longer have the right to that image, but that image then sh- plays in films, then their agent and their people who want to hire them no longer have the right to use them. And, and they're finished. So th- that that is kind of a grotesque aberration of what the spirit of this this sort of technology ought to be. I'm quite supportive in general of the technology. I don't have a problem with it at all. I think that in the right hands and under the right circumstances, it is going to be a tremendous benefit to humanity. It's where we ought to be going, ultimately using the technology to enhance our ability to do do creative work and to do uh, deep thinking work and so forth. So in principle, it's all good. But when you see use cases like that, you go, that is an 
absolute perversion of what the intention ought to be, because then you're taking people's livelihoods away. And then you're saying, mm-hmm. okay, a, a corporation can go ahead and just like, you know, use this for really what is essentially a, a few pennies and do it infinitely and remove someone's livelihood from them. That is not where we ought to be going as a society. And I think that kind of brings us to the sort of next point of what you were implying in your question, which is the importance of all of this, which it's sort of not, I don't think I can really overstate how important what is happening with the Actors Guild and the Writers Guild is for A, every aspect of the creative endeavor. So whether you're a designer or a copywriter or, I don't know, a model or a photographer, all of this stuff is going to impact you. And because there aren't any laws and there's not any significant litigation to give us kind of to give the courts guidance and so forth, this is the Wild West right now. And unless this stuff, unless you have organizations which are empowered to negotiate I, like the proper uses of this technology, stepping up and saying, hey, we really need to set some guidelines, put some guardrails around this and say, this is where... The technology is great, and this is where the people are great, and the people need to be able to sustain themselves and their families. Like everybody is going to be in trouble, and e- even as an attorney or in the law field, I mean, it, it's sort of crazy. But it's like we used to think AI was coming for I don't know the menial jobs, the things where the robots were going to somehow just like be doing in on factory floors, and that was terrible. We saw versions of that all the way through the nineties into the 2000s with automation. But it turned out that isn't actually where AI was going. Where AI was going was toward intellectual work or thinking work. And by going there and sort of swarming into those jobs, it puts everybody at risk unless we say, this is what we think people add value to. This is how we think people add value. And this is what we think is worth protecting. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very committed to it. I, I have commented on it. I do talk about it because uh, for me, it's it's the most important issue along with climate change that humans are facing right now. I, there's a couple of others. They're all big ones. But this is a it's an existential issue that we have to get right. And if we get it right, it'll be great. Like, I don't have any problem mm-hmm. with it again. But it's sort of like it's a new fundamental power source that we have to control and guide, just like we did with nuclear power. You know, just like we did with electricity before that, just like we did with cars and, and all these other technologies that come on, we have to figure out how to use them, what the rules of the road are, and so that's that's what I think we're talking about. Yeah, and I think it it addresses rights that we've never really had to think about before. We've never had to think about right of your likeness in perpetuity. It's something that's never really come up in a meaningful way. I know that. I think I've mentioned this before on my podcast, Robin Williams, he and his in his trust paperwork forbid his likeness being used in any hologram type of technology. He was a visionary enough to realize that is a potential way my likeness could be used. So he like forbade his estate from doing it. And I think because he was a gamer, he was a big gamer. His daughter's name Zelda. He was a forward enough thinker in that way. So it really, you know, the attorney in me goes, everyone who potentially may creatively engage in contracts, you really need to be talking to an attorney or legal aid in some way to make sure you're not giving away something you shouldn't. And I see the strike as a bit of the canary in the coal mine because this isn't going to be something that is in some ways unique to actors and writers. And some people, I think, blow it up as, oh, the Brad Pitts of the world, they're going to be okay. You're absolutely right. There are going to be people like Brad Pitt. Samuel L. Jackson, I shared an article where he said, hey, if I ever see in perpetuity in a contract, I immediately scratch it out. Well, he has the leverage to be able to do that. But that's Mm-hmm. Not what an extra is able to do, nor do they maybe have time to look at a contract themselves. They may just be so happy to get a job. I mean, I've definitely been there. Just happy to get a job. I'll take it and take the paycheck, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that it really, there are elements of this that are reverberating into other more nuanced creative careers. The legal world has a creative element to it. Other things, writing in various ways, marketing in various ways. I mean, I know some attorneys who are very worried about it. Now I've seen 
AI infiltrate the legal profession in a very small way. And there was a lot of hullabaloo about it's going to take our jobs away. The robots are taking our jobs away. That's really, that really wasn't going to happen in that context. But I do think it's a meaningful discussion that needs to happen. And it really, again, our, I don't think our laws really address right to privacy beyond someone's life. So I think that there, and it does, I think, touch on right to privacy because what could stop a huge stadium from scanning our likenesses and selling our likenesses to a virtual assistant software company? And that's how they get the images for virtual assistants. Those are the things that we all need to be talking about and and what's fair and what's right, or at least considering and being aware of. I totally agree. And I think, you know, Right to privacy is a great example of that. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that there is a right to privacy in American law. I think that there is, in practice, a right to publicity, and there's a right to privacy under certain circumstances, which have to do with insurance mm-hmm. and other things. But we don't yet have a constitutional amendment that says, you know what you need? You need to be protected against someone taking your likeness and turning that into a commercial or a film and elsewhere, something you might completely disagree with. Obviously, we've, there are horrendous use cases of people getting out there and taking people's images and attaching them to all kinds of imagery that anyone would object to. If it happened to them, that is horrific and it's happening, but there's no way to actually stop them doing it because it's not in law. Now, why not? If you have an image, why do you not have the right to have that image protected? It seems to me to be fundamental to showing up in the world and being human. Now, again, I'm not an attorney, but I feel like that's something that has to be delved into and has to be worked out. And I think the AI is going to accelerate all of that because you have time and time again, these whether it's deep fakes or whether it's going to be what we're all going to be facing in 2024, which is to say the, and it almost gives me horror to think about it, but the impact on the election, the upcoming election that's going to take place with people suddenly appearing to endorse all kinds of candidates, deep fake videos of people saying all kinds of stuff. I mean, we're able to do all that now. And in six months time, it's only going to be accelerated. So that's how fast all of this is moving. So I feel like the time for Congress to act is right now to protect the next election and to say, Mm -hmm. listen, you can't just take someone's image and do something with it without their permission. You should announce that you're an AI. If you are, if you're interacting with an AI or if this is AI generated, you should have to say it. And then if you don't say it, then it should be considered to be like some kind of act of bad faith or something. And it should be reflected in, in, in how, how you're treated and so forth. For me, it's, yeah. When you talk about a canary in a coal mine, it goes from this, issue that can feel sort of a little bit niche probably to the average person in the street, which is, oh, it's the actors. Hey, don't they all make a ton of money anyway? Or it's the writers. Like, what are they complaining about? They have these cushy numbers writing. Most don't. Most are trying, are working people trying to figure it out on a daily basis and a weekly and monthly basis and to raise families and so forth. There are celebrities involved in it, but it's not primarily for them. It's for the others. But it's not just about that. What they're really doing is they're working on rights that will have real impacts for how we view the use of these technologies in, in, in issues that pertain to democracy itself. I know it sounds so big, but it is big and it, it will have that effect unless we're really alive to it right now. I actually read an article this weekend. Someone did a study and was able to show that people that are shown deep faked content that kind of changes history or past events, it affects people's memories. So, you know, it nearly makes you wonder what's going to happen. Are we going to want to watch channels or, or streaming services or something, you know, that has authorized no deep fake content or something like that? I mean, mm-hmm. that it, It's just something to think about. But as you said, this may seem like a niche topic, but I think the strike happening around the same time that the Black Mirror Jonah's Awful episode came out, I think really, I know I saw people talking about it in a way, I may not be an actor, but 
I we live online. We live in places where your content can get scraped. Very few people do not have an online social media presence. So the ability for someone to go and scrape content of you your lightness, your voice, it is, it's, the potential is there. And I think that really distilled sense of reality and connection for, I think, some people of the potential way generative AI could develop in not a great way. But I know we talked a little bit in our prep call and you told me about one kind of area within the entertainment industry that is really getting hit hard. And I don't really hear it talked about on the news. So can you talk a little bit about that? I think it was audiobooks. Audiobooks. So this is a big deal. I've voiced audiobooks. I've voiced several and I love it. It's a fantastic process. You're in a room by yourself with a book and it is the purest form of storytelling and art that I can think of, which is just, it goes almost back to sort of the roots of storytelling 30,000 years ago around a campfire. All you're doing is you're just telling a story and you're just saying it into the microphone and it's a very beautiful thing. And I love listening to audiobooks. I consume them avidly. My, my audible account is maxed out with like 250 books a year or something. It's like I go through a lot of them. And the, 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 so to me, it's a very, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Now, here's the issue is you have the ability now to take the voices of actors who may have appeared under contract where they maybe surrendered those rights because the contract was written in such a broad way that would allow the company to essentially take their voice and say, well, you voice one book for us. We're going to actually do several books now. And they use the AI to use that book. And that person doesn't get paid or gets paid. If It hasn't occurred yet to the point where they would, we have good examples of it, but in theory, it's entirely possible for them to do that. And that to me is deeply, deeply disturbing. You have cases now where there are YouTube channels where they're using the voices of deceased persons who were recorded and they're using those, those voices to voice books. So they're just digitizing it and they're throwing it out there. Now that person never consented to it. They never asked for having their voice to be done, that, for that to be done to it. And I think that's ethically, morally a little bit questionable. So we have, there's tons of, exploration to be had there. I think for, I think the issue that you're sort of driving at that I think is the kind of bread and butter issue for many actors is that, you know, as I said before, yeah, there are some celebrities involved in this fight, but the average actor is a jobbing individual who goes from one job to the next. There can be time in between them. Sometimes it's a few months, sometimes it's a year, and they've got to sustain themselves in that interim period. And many of them will turn to things like voiceovers in order to be able to sustain themselves. And and hitherto, it was a viable way to do that. There were jobs available. You could go and record. The audiobook space has been growing for the past 15 years. So that was like a way to go and like, at least you could go and record some books and do that kind of thing. Now, that that is an area that has been massively impacted by the growth of the technology. Obviously, some of those jobs are going to go away. But even now, you have situations where, let's say under Amazon's contract, the, the they have this thing, I think it's called ACX, which basically allows somebody to record an audiobook from home as, a, as an audiobook reader. And for that voice if it meets certain quality criteria to be then used in Amazon's books and you can buy it through Amazon, right? Or Audible or whatever. Now, let's say that person's being paid under a SAG minimum contract. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's a, a couple hundred bucks an hour of finished audio or something. It's not a ton of money, but it could be an enjoyable way to get paid for many performers. Now, if if they, previously what would happen is you would go into a you would go to a place where they had a studio and they had a microphone set up and there was a producer and you'd walk in and there was the book and you would have prepared it beforehand but it's like that's reading the book and then you'd walk in sit down and they'd be like okay and go and then you'd get into it as issues arose the producer would pause would go back and and fix certain things would ask you to redo certain things that's just normal that's part of the business now 
so, so, the, so the amount that the actor gets paid is reflective of the fact that there are other people doing the work in the environment and they're doing a very important part of it, but it's a collective endeavor. Now what's being asked of them is like they go in and do everything. So they, they build the studio. So that's money they've got to invest. They've got to build a physical studio that's soundproof and so forth. It has the right technological specs. They have to learn how to do that stuff, which they didn't. They learned how to act. They didn't learn how to do this. Right. They, they've, got to, they've got to get the right software. They've got to be able to operate the software. Then when they record it, they then have to be able to listen to it again multiple times, fix issues. So they end up doing four to five times or more the amount of work all for that same amount of money, that $250 of finished audio, whatever it is, which is not sustainable. It ends up being like that. You, that's no way that you could even do that as a second job. You'd need another job to cover that job. <laughs> right. You know, it no longer becomes a thing. So, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the crazy thing is the impact on performance has already taken place through the technology because you have companies that have come in with that sort of internet forward mentality where they're thinking about that stuff and, and trying to minimize all of their costs and get people to do more for less, um, which is part of why the strikes are happening. And then the other part of it is, of course, those jobs, if they're already getting people to do four times the amount of work for what they cost, as soon as they can actually eliminate the job entirely because they can use an AI-generated voice, they will. That's just without question, it's going to go. And that is, for me, as an artist, as somebody who enjoys the art of a beautifully performed book, and not all are, but when they are, it's fantastic. Like that is, that's a loss to me. I prefer listening to a human voice rather than just a computer generated voice. And I think that's the sort of issue that we're all going to be looking at and facing. And that as another potential revenue stream for performance is going to go away. And it's probably going to generate a bunch of lawsuits because a lot of those people whose voices are being used probably have, didn't realize they were signing up to or agreeing for that stuff right now or six months ago. When you brought that up, I my mind was pretty blown. I just didn't even think about the impact of audiobooks in it. It definitely makes sense when you raise it. So we've talked quite a bit, Jay, about the impact, the potential negative impact to the entertainment industry. But there is, you know, as you alluded to earlier in the podcast, it, generative AI and these tools can be used in a meaningful way. I have a thought that the benefits to some generative AI is it lowers the cost of entry. It's easier now. Maybe maybe there are people who feel like I can film, edit a movie myself. So maybe they will be up rising of indie content going out there. That's kind of my hope. Do you think that's potentially on the horizon and will counter some of the sameness, the blandness that will maybe come from the bigger groups using generative AI to make content? Yeah, I think, first of all, we really need to separate out the terms that are being used. So, so AI itself has been a part of filmmaking for 25 years, 35 years, whatever it is and has only intensified and accelerated over the past few years. And it, it's already a part of all those movies you enjoy watching and because it does a lot of stuff in the edit process and the color correction process, whatever it happens to be, that just diminishes the amount of physical labor that previously would have to have taken place. You still need an artist to oversee it. You still need a great colorist. You still need a great editor. You still need these people to do their jobs, but they're being assisted by a really smart intern that is doing a lot of the grunt work that previously just would take up like hours to do. So that I have no problem with. I think the technology ought to be developed and should be developed to the best possible state that it can be. The issue with generative AI is that it can sort of be used for what I think the kind of worst case scenario is, which is actually trying to own the seed level of the material, so the copyright of the material, and then whether or not that has an impact on that sort of more indie-oriented production that you're kind of referring to. Because, yeah, maybe somebody can sit... Previously, it would take them months to write it, to have an idea, to, to write it up, to write a screenplay from it and film it. 
maybe they can type into chat GPT, give me something about like cars that transform into robots, but not transformers, but something really similar. And let me do that. And I'll, I'll put it all into like Adobe's like brand new spanking AI editing suite. And I'll be able to generate all of that and chuck it out in a couple of months or a month. And pro- the issue with that stuff is like, you're a, my question is, does it have the capacity to surprise you? Are you going to be are you going to be so intrigued by the surprise and the originality of the viewpoint that you're going to want to do that? Because if Jane or Joe Blow can think of that and do it, there's going to be a zillion other people doing exactly the same thing. If they're all using the same LLMs, you're going to be generating just a massive amount of material that looks and feels very similar. That is going to happen. You're always going to have to have somebody, whether they're a genius prompt engineer or whether they're like just a very talented artist who's going to have to come up with something original, interesting to get garner your attention. That requirement is only going to enhance with the level of the proliferation that now exists with the with the technology. So I think that it, it'll help maybe some part of the very rudimentary generation. But I, I really do think that the best way in which that we can that we as creative people, whether we're attorneys or writers or or uh, or performers or whatever, can think about what the AI is going to be is is it's it's having a very 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 capable assistant who can only do what you tell them to do, but they don't have authority over what you do, and they don't have authority over the final product. And when we think about it, like well, we're not giving them the right to do the, give me the final like brief that I'm going to give to the judge. We're just going to get some right. ideas. That's fine. right. We'll get the ideas and then just go and check them. You know, I think we talked about the the case of the attorney and uh, of the lawyer in right in New York. Yeah, in New York, who submitted those cases, like six cases were quoted by ChatGPT that it just entirely made up. Like, yeah, yeah, like don't let it have authority over the situation. I think that's like something in general that we can kind of go back to uh, when we think about this is we have to put humans in charge of the ultimate product. And there's no way getting around the fact that all of us are going to be using this stuff. We do it already. We do it with our phones. We do it with our notes apps. Everything uses some version of it. And it's only going to intensify. But that's okay. Like that's evolution and it's the way in which everything is evolving and that's fine but l- let's at least say humans are in charge of this process and that we're going to come back to making humans the most important element in the equation however that gets reflected because we're if we don't do that we're definitely going to be putting ourselves in a very sticky spot because like right now we're talking about this with chat gpt4 soon to be five there's going to be chat gpt 27 in a minute right and- Right. 50. And every other company that works out what they've been doing and generates other versions of it. And then state sponsored companies that come on stream, whether it's from China, whether it's from wherever, you're going to have all of that in just such a massive way. So we really need to get into it right now. I like your comment about it shouldn't have authority over us. Um, and my dog agrees with you too, if you heard that. Uh, Good. But, you know, often you hear the phrase in the context of AI, the human in the loop. And I always feel like that's wrong. I feel like it needs to be the reverse. I feel like it needs to be AI in the loop that human yes. is is driving. At the end of the day, these should be treated as tools like any other artist has used in the past. And they should be making kind of difficult rote things easier because to your point, it's not good at that creative leap. It's good at predicting the next thing that it think you'll say or, or, or predicting things into categories. And for me, that's why I like going to the movies. I like being surprised. And whenever I went to Everything Everywhere All at Once, that was such like an iconic movie experience that I hadn't felt in a long time, you know, in a long time, because I felt like so many of the movies that came out there you know, you kind of know where the script is going to go, but that that's really what I think people want. So, right. you know, I hope that we'll, there'll be a premium to that kind of content, assuming it doesn't get lost in the noise of all of the other heavily reliant on generative AI content. 
content out there. So, um, I, I totally, I totally agree. I think that's a tremendous point. I think when you, when you talk about that phrase that people continually use, like humans in the loop, I, I remember reading about it for various different projects years ago with respect to, you know, let's say flash trading on Wall Street or autonomous weaponry and the AI that's already been deployed there for, you know, 35 plus years. It was always like, well, we have to have a human in the loop. What does that mean? You know, like the, the human right. is in there. This It's like a runaway train and the human is in there to say, guys, this train is moving. You know, it's this is the way right. it's going. They're just kind of essentially identifying that that's what's taking place. They can't have any control over it. They're just in the loop. So I, I totally agree. We have to, it has to be much more than that. And we have to say that humans are primary and in the process. And that, yeah, we develop technology and have done so for thousands of years. That's fine. This is a technology that's there to support us. I think that per for for the moment, like right now, it's nowhere near the doom saying, may saying kind of projections. Everybody's just looking at it and going, oh, well, what happens if? And it's entirely possible that it never gets to the point, or at least not for a really long time, that everyone's really worried about. But it's also possible that it does. And, and we're just at that point where we can suddenly see now the possibility that that's going to happen. And yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like we, there has to be some sort of general consensus around what that means for us. And to do so, we really have to be able to talk about what's important for humans in general. Like what's what are the shared values? When we talk about work, AI work, we're talking about displaced human work. And this is perhaps the first time in history and we're looking at a technology that's come along that's not going to necessarily generate a whole bunch of new jobs. It's not like it's suddenly opening up a new field. This is technology that's literally eliminating jobs, and it's going to be going and doing all of those things. So it does become increasingly difficult looking ahead to see where the new jobs are going to come from. Some people will absolutely get roles in the loop, as you say, like they'll mm-hmm. have like an oversight function, but there's going to be a lot of people who don't. And that, I think, just also calls to mind and evokes the bigger issue of what is going to happen to the people, how they're going to be looked after, and, and whether or not. That involves ideas or conversations about things like universal basic income or what that corporate responsibility is when you have corporations that are worth trillions and trillions of dollars that are trying to just gather in more and more of this technology to eliminate costs. Where does that go? It's fine to say the economy is doing great because Wall Street has been doubling since the pandemic, whatever happens to be, whatever that number is. It's, that, that's fine, but the average person doesn't feel it. It's not the average person who gets that money and they don't get it passed on in terms of their accessibility to bank financing or anything else. It's they're still working through the same process that they're going through and they're lucky that they're lucky if they if they're working and, and, and are getting enough wage. So I think it it really conjures up very, very, very big issues that we have to come together as a society, as thinking people who care about all this stuff, who care about not just creative work, but any kind of work <laughs> right about any kind of just like what our neighbor is doing whether they're properly looked after how we're all in this together we're really going to have to have those kind of conversations and i feel like it's starting i feel like ai is really forcing us to kind of like sort of look around and ask who else is on the boat with us and who's if the captain knows what they're doing and we're having to have all those kind of conversations and where we're going so that is per- perhaps a kind of an upside of the technology but we're going to have to make some decisions very quickly, as I say. And I think, you know, the, the, biggest, the biggest threat is to democracy itself, in my view, because it could come to a point where our understanding of the choice that we're making is undermined because we don't know on what basis we're making the choice. So if you're not, like in any area of life, if you're not secure in how you're making the choice, you then the choice is invalidated. So that becomes really important when we're deciding who should run the country and and what system of government we ought to have and that kind of thing. So that's massively important. And then, of course, when you talk about the other side of it, as a creative person, what is happening when we're looking at creative work, I, I can envisage a space 
And very soon, in a couple of years' time, where 80% of the shows on whatever, Disney or whatever, are like computer-generated. They've got a computer-generated script. They've got a computer-generated actors. They've got computer-generated performers. And there's maybe one showrunner who's overall just like handling a bunch of technicians, and they're just essentially inputting data, churning out these shows, and they're throwing it out there because they're like, it doesn't cost that much to make. It's content. We put it out there, and kids, for the large part, if it's like some animated thing they've seen before, they're just going to watch it. And that will just keep us, that will keep the people engaged. I, I do fear where that takes us in terms of whether or not that's particularly stimulating to young minds and whether or not it's as, inventing, as inventive and interesting as tremendous kids' programs or movies from the past. But it's not just kids, it's going to be for everybody. And I can see, I can see very shortly that we're going to go into a phase where like a lot of content is generated, just AI. And then there's going to be whole channels that spring up going, we don't do AI content. We do authentic content. This is handmade. This is real people. This is real people with real stories written by real writers. And you're going to go, right. oh, great. Okay, that's cool. Like, I actually like those kind of things. And they'll have their own place, sort of like vinyl has had a resurrection in the world of music to bring back and people who play actual instruments and all that stuff, that all has a right. value now again, because it's not being generated by someone's on someone's computer or the garage band program in their basement. So that to me is where we're gonna be going. And I think that so there will always be there will always be a need for and an obvious place for the kind of actual, genuine, interesting creative work. But it's, it's going to be increasingly difficult to find in the kind of sea of, of other generated material. And I feel like we should just, we, we should get out in front and say, the, if that other generated material is using the images or the likenesses of people who, who are performers or actual human beings, and that's a massive no-no, and you can't do that, even if the contract says you could. Like, we have to go back and look at all that. You know, it's like it was never intended for this purpose. So we need to go back and look at that. And then the other part of it is these scripts that are gener by, generated by the AI are doing so based on being able to go out there and scrape material scripts and so forth that are online. And they're basically just repackaging other people's work. That needs to be addressed as well. And we have to say that's a no-no. So you, you're gonna, you have to figure out how that LLM is generating that material and how much of it is being trained on and working with the material of people who spent their lives thinking about certain things. It shouldn't just be like a tool for them to kind of repackage and purpose into their own thing. Yeah, it. there are so many things to consider and and possibly something that may pin some of that in is, at least in the U.S., the, the Copyright Office has said anything that's created by AI is not copyright protected. And that might limit some companies, but I think it, it's something that we definitely should be keeping an eye on because I think where a company can try and save money, they're going to do it without thinking of the broader societal impact. So I we're kind of winding down here at the NJ. Again, you've been in the entertainment industry for a while. You've worn many hats. What would be some general advice you would give to someone new in entertainment or wanting to dream big and go into entertainment? Well, I, I think uh, in light of this conversation, we're 1,000% never sign anything without triple checking what you're looking at if even if it's really simple try to get a professional to look at it even if it's like you don't have the money for it and it's like a friend who studied law school ask <laughs> just get some take on it to understand what it is you're getting into we're getting into a, a realm increasingly where as a producer i see contracts that are more and more broad and vague and I, I see whether or not there's any kind of predatory intent. I see the possibility for the misapplication of those contracts. And I, I feel like the, that sort of representation, that sort of protection is increasingly important for anyone creative. 
So number one, I, I would absolutely say don't just take whatever offers come along. Absolutely vet them, check them out, make sure that that you know what's going on. And, and also, as we're putting material online, just realize we're going through a phase where all of that stuff is now fodder for giant scraping bots, which are out there feeding themselves on your creative work. And so what you're putting out ought not to be your gems put out stuff if you're going to be putting it out. Just be attentive to what you're putting out. Be aware of what you're putting out, just like you would when you're writing a, an email or a text. Be aware that all of, just like those things are part of. You're like, making my like attorney brain so happy and proud that you said that, Jay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, see it, I see it with kids that I work with all the time. I'm like, you, you can't say things or agree to things in emails because that's a, it's like a legal document at that point. Like you have to, you really got to be careful with all that stuff. And it's just, it's going to be the same, I think, moving into the world of what we're putting out online. And it's a whole generation of kids who've grown up with the idea that like, it's just the internet I can put on Instagram. You don't own anything on Instagram. It's owned by Instagram. Mike, Mark Zuckerberg has it. And if you read their terms and conditions, they can do things with it. Now they choose not to, a lot of the time, but in theory, they could. So you have to be really aware of that. And like, we, we've, we've sort of had the idea that these corporations are going to just do the right thing. Like they're just going to be benevolent and just be like shop windows. None of that stuff is for free. It's absolutely not for free. So you have to be really aware of all of that. So um, as if someone is starting out, I think the most important thing is to really look at the fact that the internet and online and technology has created a bunch of avenues that can allow people to communicate like we're doing immediately and put their stuff out there and talk. And that's amazing. And that's phenomenal and should be encouraged. I think it's a great, tremendous thing. But when you're talking about your intellectual property, your ideas, register them, put them, even if it's putting it in an email and sending it to yourself, timestamp it, make a physical copy, put that somewhere, do these things that are going to protect your ideas because we're going to be increasingly entering into a world where that's all you have. If you can keep track of it and preserve it, then you stand a chance at some point when the law catches up to be able to go, hey, you know, this video game that you kind of half based on this idea I had, well, I've got the thing and here's, and I show you that this is what it is. And like, maybe I can then actually get some money from it. Otherwise they are going to take your material. There's nothing any of us can do about it. And it's going to get swept up into this technology. So be, be really, really careful, value what you do and protect it. I think that's great. And that topic is really what connected us because book.io, it's about provenance of authorship in some ways. And also blockchain technology being a mechanism to validate when you created something and also a mechanism to flow creator royalties back, back to artists. So while there's one technology that may be causing strife, there may be other technologies out there creating opportunities as well. So it's, it's inevitable. It's it's going to happen. And I think blockchain is, it is the end. I mean, block, the blockchain technologies were sort of like, like Bitcoin and all of that was kind of devised to take on the fact that the financialization of the economy, it, it ended up being untethered from any kind of physical reality and just turned into this digital thing that swirled around the globe a bunch of times and had no, and so it's okay. Well, what if we created like a ledger that actually measured transactions and gave a set value to those things and, and became something that everybody saw and was open and everybody checked? That's why that existed. And that's the importance of it. So obviously, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of that stuff is going through its own process of, of growing. And there's like regulatory issues in the United States and so forth. All of that will get worked out. But the reason that it exists is for the same is for the same basic idea, but I don't think even like Satoshi realized how big this would be because right. generative AI wasn't yet a thing. Now you're talking about like I when I look at it, I can't see another technology that exists that's going to be able to provide 
in, in a distributed open way that nobody can just like destroy that's immutable and is out there for everyone to check, like who created what when. And if you've got an image, I think people are going to be minting and putting their images online as like copyrighted things. Like this is my face. <laughs> this is when it existed. This, here it is on the blockchain. And nobody's going to like, you can't just take that and do something with it. And I think we're all going to be going through this process of basically copywriting ourselves and everything we think and do onto the blockchain because the, everything else is going to be up for grabs if we don't. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think I just hope like the blockchain, I do hear rumblings of those kind of projects being out there. And I think that hopefully, yeah, Yeah. it needs to speed up a little bit. But, you know, that to me is the silver lining of all of that. And then if it comes with, again, creator royalties that flow back for secondary purchases or whatever, I think that that that's maybe the big win. I think creator royalties might actually be the solution to a lot of what the SAG and the WGA are, are dealing with as well. Well, it's in essence like a residual check. And I do know that there are writer, like writing groups out there that are focused on people are writing in a Web3 way and attribution is given via tokens and all of that. So I think there are people really playing in that area because people want the creators to get the long-term benefit of their art. And, and I for, I'm a big fan of that as well. So. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about that. I think that's the future. So hopefully, hopefully it happens soon. We need the future to hurry up. I know. I know. Well, Jay, thank you very much for joining me on this episode. I've learned so much. It's really so great to talk to someone outside of my sphere, but still have so many things in common. Maybe in a year, we'll talk again and reflect on the changes that have hopefully happened for good. I know I've learned a thing or two, and I'm sure my audience has too. And for my audience, thank you so much for joining. And I hope you join us for the next episode of Cassie and...